0: Hello, and welcome to Climate Fix Podcast. Here, we dive into evidence-based solutions to climate change and various other pressing environmental issues. This podcast is created by Americans for Nuclear Energy, a pro-nuclear environmental organization. We take no money from industry or special interest groups. All donations are from individuals like you, interested in a grassroots scientific movement to solve the world's most pressing scientific problem, global climate change. We hope you approach these ideas with humanism and an open mind. Our mission statement is as follows. Nuclear energy is safe, cheap, plentiful, clean, and efficient. It has the capability to stop and reverse climate change while addressing the ever-growing demand for electricity globally. We strive to educate American citizens about this technology and to dispel misconceptions with facts. We firmly believe that both human civilization and industrialism can easily coexist with a healthy environment. Join us in helping to plan a prescription for a feverish planet, or as we like to say, a climate fix. This
1: is your host, Phil Ord. And this is your co-host, DJ Leclerc.
2: The name of this episode is Conservatism and Climate Action. Here we have a conversation with Benji Backer, founder and president of the American Conservation Coalition, a conservative environmental organization. This organization prides itself in correcting the misconception that conservatives don't care about the environment and climate change and advocates for common sense approaches to environmental issues. We talk about how conservatism and environmental conservation are not mutually exclusive, how climate change is real and needs to be addressed, climate policy and politics, and how the younger generation really wants to work together in solving the carbon emissions problem. We are glad to finally be able to have him on.
1: Here's a little bit about Benji Backer. Benji is an entrepreneur and political activist from Seattle, as well as a recent graduate from the University of Washington. He currently serves on the Wisconsin Conservative Energy Forum's Leadership Council and the board of directors for the Mainstream Republicans of Washington. He previously served as a co-chair for Young Americans for Mitt Romney. Benji is probably best known for his work as the president and founder of the American Conservation Coalition. Benji has been awarded the Grist 50, Forbes 30 Under 30, Red Alert 30 Under 30, and Green Biz 30 Under 30. He has contributed to publications such as CNBC, Fox News, The Hill, Washington Examiner, and The Independent. Benji has also spoken at events across the country, including CPAC in 2014 and 2016. In September of 2019, Benji testified to Congress about the threat of climate change alongside three other young climate activists, including Greta Thunberg. Benji grew up in Wisconsin and is an avid Wisconsin sports fan. He spends his free time hiking, skiing, and drinking unsweetened iced tea.
2: Here are some details about the American Conservation Coalition. The American Conservation Coalition, ACC, is a 501c4 nonprofit geared towards mobilizing young people to environmental action using common sense, market-based, and limited government ideals. ACC was started in 2017 by a group of millennials who were concerned about ideological gaps in government that prevent bipartisan measures to protect the environment. The organization sees economic health and environmental health as deeply connected. They aim to empower everyone to take a seat at the table concerning conservation, clean energy, sportsmen's rights, agriculture, climate, and other environmental issues. ACC seeks to activate young people that are tired of the partisan inaction on the grassroots states and federal levels.
1: I'm excited to hear from a conservative who is interested in addressing environmental issues. It feels as though in this day and age, the political divide is so strong that it is difficult to find any place where the two parties agree. I'd be interested to learn about how Benji and the American Conservation Coalition think that we should address these issues from a conservative standpoint. Are they interested in evening the playing field between clean technologies? Do they want to remove the red tape that's in the way of nuclear's progress? Or would they be willing to push for a carbon fee and dividend?
2: Yeah, that would be some good conversation points. It's crazy how influential Benji and the American Conservation Coalition has gotten and the clout they have developed as an organization. I think what Benji does and continues to do is a breath of fresh air. We've gotten to this really sad place in policy discourse concerning climate change where factions either deny the problem or want to use it as an issue to restructure society to their liking. My opinion is that the Republican Party and conservatives in general have too often given into denial and inaction on climate change and other environmental issues because of concerns about the economy and threats to individual liberty. Though these fears are real, the right has failed to come up with strategies to combat climate change and environmental degradation that takes their values into account. This is absurd, and Benji has stepped in to buck this trend. He understands that everyone benefits from a healthy environment and how a healthy environment makes economies healthier too. He also understands that proper environmental policies allow us to enjoy personal liberty in an environmentally responsible way. That's why I am so excited to finally be able to talk to Mr. Backer. He wants to find compromises and actually get things done.
1: Well said. It makes so much sense to why the American Conservation Coalition is such a vocal supporter of nuclear power. The energy abundance it gives us, with little effect on the environment makes it a great climate solution for both the left and the right to agree on. Also, the physical attributes of nuclear power means that we can continue to run a healthy, high-energy economy that allows people to keep enjoying their individual liberty. This is very compatible with conservative values. Through people like Benji and the ACC, along with their agreement on needing to use nuclear power, there is hope we can get emissions under control. They are helping the nuclear movement in a big way.
2: Absolutely. Without further ado, here is our long-awaited conversation with Benji Backer.
1: All right, Benji, uh, great
3: to have you on with us. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, and uh, thanks for having me.
2: Okay, well, we'll get right to it. Benji, you are the president and founder of the American Conservation Coalition, a 501c4 nonprofit. What got you interested in starting this organization
3: at such a young age? well I was uh, similar to a lot of young entrepreneurs I was uh, active in my respective field which was politics at the time I got active when I was 10 years old I started uh, being active in politics because I enjoyed the watching the John McCain and Barack Obama debates uh, which my parents had on in the background of cooking dinner and uh, you know after school and, and whatever grade that was fifth grade and I uh, decided that I wanted to actually do something about politics as well so I started campaigning and becoming really active in, in national politics as well as local politics very, very early in my life. Uh, but my family were uh, environmentalists, and so not only was I a pol- political activist, but I also was an environmentalist. It just so happened that my political activism was on the right-of-center side of things, and my environmental bent was on – no side of things. I just cared about the environment, just like most people. And uh, so I decided when I got to college, after many years of kind of youth political activism, that I wanted to change the narrative that conservatives didn't care about the environment and, and also changed the narrative that conservatives can't be at the table. And so I decided that there needed to be a national organization to give conservatives a voice on environmental issues. And so uh, I started it my freshman year of college, uh, which transpired into what is now the American Conservation Coalition. And we have expanded past just kind of focusing on conservatives, but largely on market-based mechanisms to solving the climate crisis, as well as other environmental issues, and figuring out uh, ways to make it bipartisan and engaging for conservatives as well. So that's kind of a, the two-minute or less version of my story. Of course, there are lots of uh, gaps and, and holes to fill, but uh, but that's kind of the overview. Excellent.
2: I think it's awesome because it's really to young people The climate crisis is... Basically apolitical. It's it's something that we have to deal with no matter what, and it makes sense that you know younger people are starting to get serious about it.
3: Well, exactly. And to us, the climate crisis is not political at all. It's not it's not about red versus blue. In fact, most young people don't think in terms of red versus blue. They think green. Uh, They think of the environment. They think of social justice. They think of issues. And, And and so. I, I really think in general, young people have a different approach of that. And that could change over time. I mean, young people could become more partisan, but there hasn't been as nonpartisan of a generation as this generation. And as we saw this last election, you know, they're starting to turn out to vote more than any other youth generation. So it's not that being nonpartisan has meant uh, political apathy, uh, especially in the past couple of years. It actually has largely meant that they're more involved in protesting and contacting legislators and those sorts of things. And so to our generation, you know, we don't really care about the political party of who's fighting climate change. In fact, we, we know that every political party needs to fight climate change. So even my most liberal friends are so excited that I, as a conservative activist would be active in climate conversations, whereas an older generation would say, Oh, a conservative is active in climate conversations. That is a competition to what we're trying to do on the left, whereas, you know, in our generation, it's like, oh, we need allies on the right and the left and in the center to make it happen. So yes, absolutely. The environment is not a political issue. It is simply about the environment. Um, and it may, maybe it's a political issue. It's not a partisan issue.
1: That's so great to hear because, yeah, definitely, like science, things like that shouldn't be left or right. It's it's just about the reality. But absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'll go on to the next uh, question we have here, but uh, conservation has roots in conservative philosophy, one of the greatest Republicans of all time. Teddy Roosevelt is the man behind our national parks. Can you explain how caring for the environment is a conservative value?
3: Yeah, well, you hit on it uh, with Teddy Roosevelt, and I mean, there are, you know, many other individuals that uh, throughout history have been even more uh, connected to today's re- uh, version of conservatism and also big environmentalists. You know, the creator of the EPA and the Clean Water Act, Clean Air Act, that was Richard Nixon. Uh, you know, the, the cr- uh, creator of the largest marine sanctuary of all time was George W. Bush, uh, the president who protected the most amount of land uh, in recent United States history was George HW Bush uh, more than uh, Clinton or, or 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 regular W Bush uh, or uh, Obama and uh, so I think you know there is a, a heritage of that and that's just presidents right that's not talking about governors and, and US House and Senate members and, and state legislators I mean there are hundreds if not thousands of those so there is a legacy and I think where the legacy comes from that people have forgotten about for conservatives is that conservatives live in these areas. They live in natural areas. They live in rural areas that are surrounded by nature. And in fact, they see environmental damage firsthand. You think about a farmer or a rancher or somebody living out in the country, um, somebody who's involved in the timber industry or you know whatever rural industry those industries rely heavily on the success of our environment and people know that who live in those areas uh, oftentimes those people are you know hunters or fishermen and women and you know they also understand the importance of of keeping wildlife at a healthy population and so there's this interconnectedness of conservative populations and nature and i'm not saying that every conservative lives in rural areas but t- you know the tendency of voting is that conservatives are in those areas and that has been you know, largely true for, for many decades now. So there is, there is an obligation that conservatives know that they have to nature. And in fact, there's a study done by the University of Michigan, as well as a couple of other universities uh, back in kind of the mid 2010s, that showed that climate deny deniers, who oftentimes were conservative at that time, and I guess you know more so are today than maybe left of center people are, uh, and were more eco friendly in their day to day lives than than climate uh, change activists. And it was actually to say that both were fairly eco friendly, but. The point of the study was to show that, that these communities who were skeptical of climate change, who often were in rural areas, were the most interconnected, and so they were the most uh efficient with their power usage. They were the most efficient in terms of waste. And they were the most efficient in terms of how they managed their property and their land and and, and how much they degraded the environment on their day-to-day lives. So I think that there is this interconnectedness that conservatives have with nature. It's just a matter of reigniting that. And instead of it just being this tangible thing that conservatives care about, which is very important, using that as a tool for uh, policy change as well.
1: Yeah. Very interesting. I I, I find it interesting you talk about the rural communities and uh, how they are kind of interconnected, you know, with nature. And that reminds me of my my father-in-law. He would definitely aspire to the conservative leaning side of things. And uh, I would say he's definitely connected uh, a little more with nature. And uh, he hates to see it when uh, logging companies come in and take out all the trees and I mean, he's a hunter himself as well, but I I can definitely see that.
3: Exactly. And, you know, that's a personal story that you have that I'm sure has shaped the way that you care about these issues. And I don't think that that's something that people really realize is how much those stories, oftentimes from you know conservative-leaning people and the way that you probably were introduced to nature, at least in some shape or form, shaped the way that you care about this issue, which is why you're having this podcast today. And I think that when we look back at history— we need to look back at our own family's heritage and say, you know, maybe we didn't do the best job of protecting our planet in terms of the global scale. But on a, you know, tangible basis, there was a passion for the environment. And maybe there's a way to do both. You know, maybe you can be an urban dweller who cares a lot about climate change, but also realize that, you know, these rural communities and these kind of, um, you know, hands-on environmental experiences also are the reason that a lot of us have shaped our love for the environment.
2: And I think that you know the name conservative. You're supposed to conserve the current you know state state of things, and part of that is conserving, leaving some room for the environment to just
3: be pretty much healthy. You know, exactly. And I mean, you think about um, what we've done to this planet in terms of urban expansion. I mean, we're, we're getting into more of a non-climate conversation with this. I mean, it does relate to climate, but like I'm, I'm sitting in Seattle right now and I just you know, I'm looking out my window and I see uh, I actually see the mountains. And to think that, you know, before we were here, this was this was just completely nature. Uh, you know, we as urban dwellers have to understand that we have a, a very severe impact on the environment. I mean, we've turned natural areas into metropolises and our impact on the environment per person is a lot higher than those people living out in the country. And and I think that we have to think about that as a as part of this conversation because right now I think the biggest problem when it comes to climate change and the environment is not the partisan divide, it's actually the urban rural divide, which plays into the partisan divide, but urban people kind of stand on the seventh floor of my apartment building, you know, I can stand up on my seventh floor of my apartment building and say that, you know, oh, people should act differently in a place that I don't live. But I also don't understand what that person is going through in the middle of, you know, Nebraska or Wisconsin, where I grew up. You know, there's there is a duty for people who care about these issues in urban areas, which, ten, which tends to be where the climate change activists are from, to try to engage urban or sorry ru- sorry engage rural areas because they've been so left out of this conversation and because all, all the policies are solely centered on kind of what is best for urban populations of course rural populations don't want to engage on climate change you know that's uh, you know kind of a given if 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 every policy around an issue climate change is kind of antithetical to your own livelihood which is kind of what people in rural areas think it's going to be hard to solve this crisis that we have. And I think we've got to bridge that divide. And I'm not blaming urban people for these problems solely. It's obviously a shared problem that we all face together. And and I really think rural communities could do a better job of standing up on these issues. But we as urban dwellers, and I I don't know where you two both reside, but as speaking for myself here, uh, you know, we have to reach out and do a better job of, of engaging those communities.
2: So moving on, Unfortunately, and you've kind of touched on this a little bit before, but many people view Republicans and conservatives as the political side that denies the science of climate change, given some documented rhetoric voiced by certain politicians. What do you think led to such a state of affairs and how is ACC trying to flip that script?
3: Yeah, a really good question. Well, first of all, I think... Not enough people have been asking that about why we got into the position that we are because I think with most most problems throughout history it's important to ask why we are where we are to figure out the solution and for for us as an organization we've realized that why we are where we are is because conservatives haven't liked the policy solutions that have been given with climate change uh, and you look back at history; conservatives have been willing to engage on these issues, uh, especially in the eighties and nineties, and when this conversation was starting to get get kicked off the ground. You know, the Sierra Clubs of the world and, and other organizations worked with Republicans and Democrats on you know policies to lower pollution. So this wasn't always a partisan conversation. Even climate change, I'm not just talking about the environment. So, but then in the early two thousands, the the left of center political folks decided to make this a top issue, which was you know important in terms of making it a top issue nationally. But when Al Gore and others came up with their policy solutions, they were fairly antithetical to conservative values. And so conservatives backed away. And instead of leaning in to the conversation and suggesting their own policy solutions, they backed off. And then instead of You know, having reasonable voices on the right dominate the conversation, you had the 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 unreasonable radicals, you know, bring snowballs to the Senate floor and say climate change isn't real because I have a snowball in my hand. So, I mean, that sort of thing has now perpetuated itself over over two decades, and that has really reshaped the way that people think about climate change and the reason why they think it's partisan. But I think the the way the reason why that all matters is because it shows that conservatives can be a part of this conversation again. it's just a matter of a breaking down the barrier of uh this being a partisan conversation and b giving conservatives a reason to engage, which is giving them policy solutions that they can at least be open to um, Conservatives love nuclear energy they love. Anything that is powerful, that is American-made, that is economically sound, that is uh, innovative, that is market-driven, uh, that enhances uh, the economy just in general. So there are ways to do that. Uh, I, I mentioned nuclear. Uh, there's obviously you know, tons of new technology around things like carbon capture and um, you know, even just solar and wind or you know, we could rattle off a bunch of different things that have happened over the past twenty years that are, you know, not antithetical to conservative values, but we have to make that known for people who might have been previously skeptical.
2: When you say antithetical to conservative values, I think a lot of that has to do with the economic practicality of some of the solutions that are brought exactly about. And I think you know, I think when people are just, oh, we're going to, we're going to use less energy to like, well, that doesn't work in an economy. So we need, right. you know, yeah. it's a, a conservative approach would be like, well, we can't just sacrifice the economy because that's, you know, that's not something we can do ethically. They then would probably, you know, a more compatible view would be, you know, we just need to use science and technology to get out of it.
3: Absolutely. And I think that that, yeah. Conservatives don't want to regulate their way out of climate change. They don't want to spend their way out of climate change. They don't want to, um, you know, reduce energy their way out of climate change. They want to live their lives. And they also want to have solutions be good for the economy and good for everyone. And I'm not saying that that's not something that people left of center want or don't want either, but it, the solutions so far have been very divisive, very government first, very, um, you know, kind of anti-market in in many ways. And for conservatives that are low taxes and, you know, limited government, that that's not going to fly.
2: Well, I would say the word draconian, like we're all going to have to sacrifice. Well, that means that people have to have to give up some of their freedoms. And that's not what a conservative w- would be OK with. Right. People
3: don't want to give up their freedoms to solve a global problem that already seems very difficult to solve for a lot of people. People don't want to give up their freedoms when they feel like there might be another uh, option. And on climate change, there is another option than giving up your freedom uh, to solve the, the problem. And and I think it's a reframing of the issue from being this kind of alarmist, hopeless, um, you know, utopian future at the same time to one of excitement and innovation, and driving down emissions while also not impacting people's lives in a negative way, uh, and you're not going to convince people who are worried about putting food on the table that they should stop driving their car, and that sort of approach just will never work, and so that's why we haven't had progress too.
1: I I, I just I, I love this conversation that we're having and. I I wish that this is, this is how uh, politicians argued about environmental issues, whether or rather than, you know, it just doesn't exist type of thing. I think uh, it would be so much better if we could argue about the specifics on how we would do things. But, um, and I even see myself, I I don't see myself as exactly uh, conservative. I definitely see myself very radically center. But um, I, I definitely agree with you on a lot of the things you're saying about, uh, we, we can't tell people, yeah, don't, don't drive your car or, uh, like reduce all your energy, um, and whatnot. Um, and yeah, I'm not even conservative leaning. I'm center, but.
3: Well, yeah. And I think that that's, that's, that like, I, I don't, centrist is a terrible word for like a policy because it to a lot of people comes across the wrong way. So I guess, the better way is pragmatic, but there is a pragmatic Mm. approach that most Americans Mm -hmm. can get behind. You know, people, people like us who probably, it sounds like we span, you know, a nice kind of, Array of the political spectrum, at least you know, moderately left of center to 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 right of center, and everything in between, like that. There, there, most Americans are in between the moderate left of center, the center, and the moderately right of center. Now, are those people the loudest people in America? No. Are they the ones who show up to the rallies every time that there's a presidential election? No. But they are the the hardworking Americans who tend to kind of just put their head down, work, you know, take care of their families and, you know, do normal life activities outside of politics, they can get behind these sorts of solutions. And we just need to make sure that those folks also start speaking up a little bit more in terms of policy, because we can all agree that we shouldn't be telling people what to do to solve climate change, that we should innovate our way and, you know, really find a economically sound way to solve this. But until we have more voices who are willing to maybe step out of their comfort zone, who represent the vast majority of Americans, you know, we won't be able to get that. But I agree. I mean, I think most people can agree with a pragmatic approach on climate change. We just have to get
1: there. Definitely. We need more radically moderate people.
2: (laughs) And the ACC is doing a great job trying to push back on the fact that conservatives don't care about climate change. So.
3: Well, I really appreciate that, and I think you know the the point that you were trying to make too uh, about radical moderate, uh, you know, or uh, we need we need a lot of moderation. You know, I, I, what I say is we need some radical centrism. Uh, yeah, we need radical centrism, and the fact that we need pragmatic policy in a radical way. So that means doing things quickly. That means starting to move. That means getting people active. That means kind of taking the same approaches that maybe the bases of the far left and the far right used to get pe- things done. Um, and using that for common sense solutions in the middle. Uh, yeah, I, I, think a lot of Biden voters and a lot of Trump voters actually don't see things that differently from one another. And then a lot of the people who hated both of those options also don't see things very differently from, from one another, you know, and I, I know that that sounds like this kind of perfect utopian world of, uh, yeah, everyone's in the middle, which they're not. But there, there is a lot of agreement on issues like the environment with mm-hmm. people on the left and right of center who aren't radical, but they want pragmatic results. And so we need radical pragmatism. We need a radical centrism. We need to start moving forward on this. And that means solutions at all levels. And for climate change, that means a nuanced discussion about local solutions, state solutions, federal solutions, international solutions, corporate solutions, solutions at all levels. And every person in this country has at least a touch point to one of those areas, whether that's them working at a corporation or whether that's them working for the government or whether or not they can uh, vote with their dollars or vote with their votes. Everyone has a touch point to each one of the different layers of this conversation. And instead of focusing on this kind of nuanced, all the above uh, areas of solution finding, we're just like, oh, federal government only, and we're just going to regulate our way out of this. It's like,
1: no, we're not. Yeah, yeah. So I'll go ahead and get us on to uh, our next question. So uh, clearly our organization focuses on one particular form of carbon-free energy, and that's nuclear power. From what we've seen, the majority of people on the political right are very supportive of nuclear power, and you've mentioned that yourself, uh, while folks on the political left still have some reservations. Why do you think this is the case, and what can be done to make support for nuclear power more bipartisan?
3: Well, this will be my only partisan jab of of the day, hopefully. Uh, I try not to be super partisan in the way that I talk, but the fact that the Democratic Party and the left of center has opposed nuclear energy shows that they, A, aren't taking climate change seriously, and B, their climate change plans are a joke. (laughs) And I say that because there is no future of fighting climate change without nuclear energy, and you cannot take climate change seriously without taking nuclear energy seriously. And that doesn't mean that there shouldn't be, you know, questions about, um, you know how to best move forward with it, or its pricing, or its efficacy, or its safety. Yeah. Like we, of course, every every energy uh, and every solution to climate change has trade offs and things that needs need to improve and all those different things. But so those those questions should still be able to be asked. But the complete skepticism, where like you have environmental groups celebrating nuclear plants uh, closing, yeah, because they see that as being good for climate is completely backwards and we're seeing that even you know this month we're seeing you know people applaud the uh the closing of nuclear energy facilities in new york
0: Mm -hmm. and
3: that's a joke like Mm -hmm. it's a a complete joke that's worse than climate denial in my Mm -hmm. opinion because it's it's climate change masquerading as absolutely anti climate change I, mean, I don't even know what it's masquerading as it's yeah. a, it's masquerading as you know as a way to supplement other energy sources that will do nothing to solve climate change alone and by removing the best carbon free energy resource we have we are completely putting ourselves at a disadvantage it is pro fossil fuels and pro pro climate change uh, to be against nuclear energy so <laughs> That wasn't your question. Your question is, how did we get there? Uh, but it's I'm okay. just very no, frustrated no, okay. about we'll, that. Let
1: you, we'll let you <laughs> vent because I, I, I completely agree. I, I'm having to hold myself back from venting because, yeah, that just pisses me off. But go ahead.
3: <laughs> well, I'm glad this is a nuclear group therapy session.
1: <laughs> I know some very progressive
2: left-leaning people that did some research and found out that nuclear is probably the the biggest you know hope we have to stop the emissions problem and i think a lot of it comes down to is just years of misinformation what do you think about that
3: absolutely it's years of misinformation and it is uh using a couple of unrelated examples of of nuclear energy uh as a scapegoat uh for or or as a reason not to support nuclear energy i mean when people think of nuclear energy instead of thinking about the world's cleanest safest most reliable form of energy they think of uh, you know a couple of crazy disasters throughout history that don't deserve any more airtime when it comes to this issue and you know we have the science and the data and the practical real life experience to know that nuclear is the safest, most realistic, but yet the misinformation is still out there. uh, Because I think something that we also, you know, always forget is that people don't care about the data and the science and the numbers and even the practicality. They care about the way that it is portrayed because there's so many things going on in the world that the portrayal is the reality a lot of the time for people. Mm -hmm. And Um, so far, nuclear has been so unfairly portrayed. uh, And that's become the reality in a lot of people's minds, and it's been a false reality. So, you know, misinformation, uh, a lack of information, uh, and also a political um, polarization technique that the left, environmental left has used to drum up support for their own initiatives, you know, that I don't want to know how much money these environmental groups on the left have raised from opposing nuclear plants in New York over the past couple of weeks and yeah. how much money they raised to get efforts going to close those plants. Um, that is absolutely absurd, but that's also where this is coming from. So we need, going forward, we need an environmental movement that is pro-nuclear, that puts nuclear at the forefront of fighting climate change, and also talks about it in a truthful way. That's just really as simple as that.
2: Yeah, I couldn't couldn't agree more and I think the public perception is starting to change. The the correct information is starting to get out there and I think that that once more people on the left learn about the uh, in my opinion the wonder of nuclear power, I think it will be what unites both sides to climate action. That's just my opinion.
3: Absolutely. And yeah. we, ha- we have we have a potential for young people to see the benefit of nuclear energy. Our organization has something called the Market Environmentalism Academy which is an online digital hub for environmental uh, education uh, through a market-based lens, and we're going to be doing a lot there. You know, our organization will pull our weight in terms of getting nuclear, pro-nuclear education out there, but we need a lot more of it, and we need to be main, main you know, mainstream, and we need politicians to start talking about it. I mean, I was glad to see the Democratic Party start to shift last year on their stance on nuclear energy. Yep, you know, I'm, yep. I'm not a Democrat, but I think that it's great for the environment and great for nuclear energy to see. That. You know, you have Cory Booker going on record saying yeah. that he's pro nuclear after being anti nuclear. So I don't think that all hope is lost on it. I, I do think that there's a chance to kind of reverse the script. Um, but we, we still are seeing the ramifications of it today in the most drastic example of the closing of the new york uh nuclear power plants but also in terms of the pricing of nuclear being so high because of how much regulation has has hampered its growth while solar wind natural gas oil coal have all been benefited by bailouts and and subsidies um and and nuclear has been the exact opposite. So while others have been pushed up in the marketplace, nuclear has been pushed down. And so we have to deal with those ramifications and understand right. that there like one of the biggest flaws of nuclear, the pricing has to do with things that were outside of its control. In addition, they're working on ways to solve that without, you know, underst- you know, without the government trying to kind of walk that back. We're still working on the solutions to make that change. But we have to understand how we got to the place where that was a problem. So anyways, there are just lots of issues that need to be solved. But the first is people need to realize that nuclear is a good thing for climate.
2: Right. And I was going to basically ask you, like, you guys go with the all of the above clean energy strategy, which I think is is great for political reasons. But would you say your organization would ever consider being especially vocal about nuclear power as a cornerstone? For clean energy traditions, given its safety, power density, reliability, low land and resource footprint,
3: absolutely. Um, you know, I think we're, we are all of the above. We're actually any of the above. You know, we think you know maybe there are technologies that haven't been created yet, and and other you know ideas that should be um, explored. But. You know we're all of the above because we need we're going to use a wide variety of energy sources throughout the you know rest of human history and maybe those energy sources will change and some will go out and some will come in and, and those sorts of things but we will use different energy sources and so we need to figure out how to decarbonize every energy source and limits limit each energy source's environmental impact also increase its efficiency um, however at this point in time. And I don't see this changing. Nuclear has the biggest potential to fight climate change out of any energy resource. And so absolutely, our organization uh, will be focusing on nuclear as you know pretty much the top option for scalability when it comes to fighting climate change. Um, and we absolutely think it should be a top priority for legislators, companies uh, and other nonprofits as well
2: that 's that's great to hear, because I think sometimes nuclear is taking a back seat, and I think we need to get to a point where nuclear is one of the top contenders you know as appreciated if not more appreciated than wind and solar in my opinion but
3: well, yeah, I mean solar and wind are are cool, but have you heard of nuclear i mean that's what that's what uh that 's what I would tell my my friends who really care about this i mean mm-hmm. be as pro solar and nuclear as you or sorry pro solar and wind as you want, but Nuclear energy is is the future, and you can have solar and wind in a, in a nuclear, nuclear future, um, but that doesn't mean – at this point in the game, solar and wind cannot solve climate change. Uh, they are intermittent energy sources that cannot power communities at scale. And so that doesn't mean that we should just phase out solar and wind or stop trying to develop more technology around it. Absolutely the opposite, but <laughs> nuclear is – our answer.
1: So one of the things I, 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 hear when, 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 when I hear like all of the above, like we, we, you can't, you shouldn't be favoring, you know, just one or just nuclear type of thing. Like I, I hear kind of the, it reminds me of the uh, whole all lives matter type of thing where it's like, okay, you can't say, well, well, all the energy sources matter, but then at the same time, you're just like holding nuclear down. Like nuclear, like has been, you know, like the scapegoat for, for many, many years and it needs help coming back up. Like wind and solar, they're perfectly fine on their own. They don't need any more support. <laughs> like you don't need to go out and advocate for wind and solar. It's already on, on its own path. You like nuclear really needs a lot of advocacy right now. Um, that, that's what I think of when I, when I see, well, no, you just should be all of, all of the above. You shouldn't ever uh, focus on just one, but
3: well, that's a really good point and a totally fair point. I think you know where we're coming from on that is we feel like you know and as somebody who's toured the country to, to kind of see what different communities use for energy and the different ways that they're fighting climate change, I, I just know you know with the way that our world operates and the reliance that we have on fossil fuels currently as well as the increasing industries, of solar and wind and hydro and other, you know, exciting, um, you know, opportunities around energy that we need to continue innovating and creating new technology to lower the environmental impact on each one, because we are going to continue using each one. And if we're going to continue scaling renewables, which is what a lot of people in this country want. And I, and I also think that there is a need for that. We need to figure out better battery technology. We need to figure out better efficiency. We need to figure out how to better mine for the materials uh, to create those, uh, you know, wind turbines and uh, you know solar panels. And so, when we mean all of the above, it's not saying that different energy sources don't need different things. I mean, nuclear might need the most help, might need the most uh, investment, uh, might need the most private sector and public sector involvement. Uh, but you know, when we when we say all of the above, you know, we feel like there is. A really big need for all energy sources to continue getting better, mm-hmm. uh, and, and I and I do agree though that. You know, nuclear has been completely hamstrung by uh, government regulation. And so, for us as an organization, you know, we've been supporting a couple of uh, the pro nuclear modernization and implementation bills at the federal level. We're really excited about what the Department of Energy is doing. You know, without getting too much into the nitty, into the nitty gritty, you know, we are really excited about a lot of the policy. Opportunities at the federal level and at the state level, um, but we also feel like that does apply to other energy sources. Even though they might not need as much help getting off the ground because they have already gotten that help, they mm-hmm. do need uh, some, you know, support. And that might not be public sector support, but at the very least, you know, private sector investment and a lot of these cool technologies that maybe can increase the efficiency of each. Resource, so I think I'm on the same page, and I understand what you're saying. I just think yeah. that in general, you know, all energy sources need to be better for us to solve climate change.
1: For sure, yeah. And you you hit on on the policies part, um, and I know that we feel like the the type of policy that's sort of sort of kind of goes to the all of the above type uh, mindset, but that we support uh, for climate change. Is the carbon fee and dividend uh, a price on carbon at extraction, and the revenue would be distributed to everyone? Uh, we feel it will incentivize innovation in in the nuclear sector as well as other sectors. Um, what would you see as good or bad about carbon pricing?
3: Yeah, really good question too. And you know, I think when it comes to carbon pricing. There are a few – you you mentioned a lot of the really good positives from it that I also see. We also see a lot of big negatives on our end, um, and so we we as an organization have really stayed neutral on, on the topic, and there's a couple reasons for that. Um, the first reason is that right now, politically, and political feasibility always has to be considered when you're discussing uh, these issues because True. that's what the policies come from um, – Right now you have the left of center, which is like basically Green New Deal or bust. And then you have the right of center, which it's really hard to get conservatives to embrace a tax uh, on something that they already have been skeptical of in the past. And so you're not going to see a lot of Republicans engage. And then the Democrats, you're not going to see enough engage as well. So we feel like that's a lot of time that could be spent on maybe – Taking other steps in the interim, while continuing that discussion, I'm not saying that's a reason to not ever do something like that, but it is a reason to take other steps in the short to medium term, and then figure out you know how feasible that or other policies are. Uh, so that's the first problem that I see. The second problem that I see is that what we have what we have found with the carbon price and the carbon tax is that. Not only is it not politically feasible right now, but it also is incentivizing the big oil companies and um, other big companies to jump on board because they can say, hey, we're supportive of climate action. We signed on to the pro-carbon pricing pledge, and there are actually basically anti-climate reasons why they're doing it and they're doing that because they want to appear as if they're pro-climate and because they know that it's not politically feasible. And they also are doing it because it pushes out lower to mid-level competitors who can't afford that price Mm. on carbon while BP and others can. And so I love the work that BP and Shell are doing and others to, to decarbonize. And I think that's great, but it's not always in good faith when they support something like a carbon price. And so I'm not saying that a carbon price isn't something that we should be considering, um, especially if it's done in a, in my opinion, a revenue neutral way where you're maybe even removing a different tax and, you know, replacing it with this one Um, and, or, and, or giving that money back to the people who maybe have to pay for an increase in the price of gas or whatever, uh, which is a big problem for, you know, low income individuals in this country and even, you know, middle income. So, I think that there are some very difficult conversations that we have to have around it, which is why, again, kind of circling back to the overview, which is we should be focused on other solutions in the interim while we sort all this out. And we can continue to have those conversations. I'll continue to be engaged in them. You know, we can always talk it through, um, you know, with uh, on shows like this and things like that. But I think in general, those are the reasons why we've kind of stayed out of it for now.
2: That's fair. That, that totally understandable. It's just a hypothetical policy plan that Exactly. That I think in the nuclear advocacy sector, we do not want to fall into the trap of, oh, only our source of energy should get attention. You know, like because that's like that's being, you know, not consistent with your values. Like we want nuclear to win on merit, not because it's it's it has to be helped along, but the only way I could compete on merit is if there's some sort of level playing field. So that's kind of, that's kind of why, like, that's kind of why we support it.
3: That, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I, I live in Washington state now and have for five years and I've seen a carbon price, you know, fail numerous yeah. times at the state level. Um, at all different kind of approaches from the big government approach to it to the limited government approach to it. Um, and so I, I do think that it's a really important conversation to have. I've previously been in as an individual supportive of a carbon tax, so I'm not you know, opposed to having that conversation at all. Uh, I think that it's a very important conversation to have. I think it's one that our organization hopefully will have to face at some point, whether or not we, um, you know, want to weigh in because it's looking like something that could either move or not move. You know, and I think there's an opportunity for that for that policy to be one that could 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 be a major win. But I also think one of the biggest problems that that policy has is people see that as kind of a one size fits all, similar to the Green New Deal, where it's basically carbon price or bust. And um, yeah. and even if a carbon price passed, it wouldn't you know it wouldn't be something that would be transferable to other countries. It wouldn't uh, do yeah, enough. Absolutely towards natural solutions and, um, you know, fighting climate change through those types of issues, through infrastructural improvements. And so I think there are are tons of problems with just focusing on the carbon price, which is something that I know you you both don't do, but a lot of others do. And I think, um, anyways, I'm venting again, but that's kind of another problem that I see with it.
2: Yeah. I mean, these are just talking about solutions, policy solutions in general, like we just don't have enough of that. It's either Either my way or the highway, kind of along that thread. People people know you from your may know you from your testimony to Congress alongside very high profile youth climate activists, including Greta Thunberg. Do you think young people from various political persuasions will be more likely to agree on climate change mitigation efforts than the current political order?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, that was a that was a really <laughs> immense honor to testify alongside those folks. And, you know, I think Greta Thunberg and Jamie Margolin and Vic Barrett, the other panelists there, you know, we very much see differently in terms of the policy and the approach, but we agree on it being a problem. And so, like Jamie Margolin, who I probably disagree with 9.5 times out of 10, um, if not more, can still get on different debates and conversations seemingly every month uh, and then end as friends. And I think. That's the difference of this political discourse amongst young people. Is that not everyone's like this, but most people can agree to disagree at the end of the day, become friends, shake hands, you know, in a pre-COVID and hopefully post-COVID era. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I absolutely think so. It's just my hope is that this generation that is currently sick of the partisanship doesn't fall into those same traps. Um, so. If we can, if we can stay out of that as we have been so far, I think we're in good, good hands.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So you got something,
3: Phil? Uh, you know, I, th-
2: I think the days of just denying the problem and the days of saying only this one solution will work. I think, I think that will eventually fade away. I hope so. But sometimes I feel like we're just at each other's throats too much, and you know, I'm thinking things like social media are actually making things worse sometimes, even though we're getting the word out there. So I don't know what you guys think about that.
3: Yeah. Social, I mean, social media absolutely has played a role (laughs) and a huge role into why politics is so divisive today. And it allows us to hide behind computer screens and say things at each Mm -hmm. other. And, um, and make things sound way worse than they are and, uh, more dramatic and cause that's what gets people's attention. And you couldn't do that as easily when social media wasn't around and it wasn't as appealing because no one could really reap the benefits of doing it. So, uh, you know, that's something that I have tried. And I think our organization has tried to do is not fall into those traps and, um, say things that are super divisive and, you know, that might forgo some, attention that we could get and funding and, um, you know, media hits and, and more social media followers. But, um, I'm hopeful that more people will continue to take that lead and take the slow, steady growth voice of being involved in the public sphere, which is doing things for the right reasons and dedicating yourself to a cause and fighting for what you believe in. And, uh, eventually you start to see some results and our organization has, you know, really started to see a lot of results, not just with our growth, but in terms of the impact, uh, as well. So, you know, I also am worried about the impact of social media from a d- division standpoint, but, um, you know, for people who are listening to this or for, you know, following me mm-hmm. in general, I, I hope that people can take away that you don't have to do that to have success.
1: Exactly. I hope that this, this post when it's put on Americans for Nuclear Energy, like can kind of show that like, hey, like we can all be at the same table talking about this. And like you said, still be friends, uh, disagree maybe about exact policies and stuff. But uh, you talking about, you know, be, still being friends with those people that you disagree with most of the time. and But you can get together and still discuss these things uh, in a very reasonable way. Like that kind of excites me to hear about that. But.
3: Well, absolutely, and you know, I I oftentimes don't talk about politics with my friends and family just because it's my entire life, and I you know mm-hmm. try to separate myself from it. But uh, pre pre ACC and and. And when I was active, when I was younger, I used to have really, you know, comprehensive conversations with my high school and middle school friends about this. And I see my friends who aren't political doing it all the time and, you know, having debates and then, you know, shaking hands at the end. And, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe that's just a person to person aspect that we don't realize that most people can do, but I do think generationally we're on a better track than others. So absolutely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think that, What you're doing is extremely important. Uh, Where can listeners go for more information about you and the American Conservation Coalition?
3: Yeah, well, first of all, really appreciate the opportunity to jump on. And I think, you know, what you guys are working on is super important. Uh, you know, spreading the good word about nuclear energy and creating a sounding board and a podcast to, to talk about that, as well as just kind of this issue at large. Uh, super, super important. So I'm a big, big supporter of what you guys are working on here. And I think ACC's mission is incredibly well aligned with it. You know, we uh, have a free membership program at acc.eco/slash membership. Uh, we have our Market Environmentalism Academy, uh, which you can find on Google or marketacademy.eco. And then we're on social media at ACC underscore national, uh, pretty much on every platform. And then I'm at Benji Backer on every platform. So, you know, hopefully uh, we can continue to work together and, and use your Absolutely. voice and my voice as a way to get nuclear energy to, to be cool again and, uh, mm-hmm. and make nuclear energy the climate solution that we all know it is.
2: Right. Yeah. Thanks again so much for coming on. And
1: yeah, and uh, <laughs> I, I definitely think Benji, I, we 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 would be friends if if uh, we could hang out. But even 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 if we might politically be a little different. Thanks for thanks for joining us.
3: Exactly. Well, I really appreciate the opportunity. Let me know when it's up. I'll be happy to tweet it out. And uh, and again, thanks for having me. Feel free to keep in touch.
2: Perfect. Great. That was a really productive conversation with Benji. It's so good to see people on the conservative side of the political spectrum be so enthusiastic about solving environmental problems in a framework that is in line with their values. Mr. Backer is extremely bright and informed about issues like climate change and understands the importance of nuclear power in meaningfully addressing carbon emissions. The nuclear field is lucky to have such an advocate.
1: Benji and the ACC offers a different perspective to the current environmental movement and is helping provide a check on the formation of echo chambers, making the environmental movement stronger. No political orientation has a monopoly on championing the environment. And at the end of the day, all of us are for keeping humanity and nature in good condition. We need to pool all of our thoughts and expertise and let the best ideas rise to the top when it comes to protecting the environment. This will lead to policies that benefit humanity and nature the most. This conversation was part of that process.
2: That's very true. The biggest thing I took away from this conversation is how awesome it is that is how awesome it is that the ACC is willing to place nuclear power as the cornerstone heavy lifting technology to tackle the climate crisis. Too often, nuclear takes a backseat to more limited technologies like wind and solar. It's great that another growing environmental organization is unabashedly pro nuclear. I see this as being a growing trend, which means our nuclear activism is paying off. The dominoes are starting to fall.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I thought it was really awesome talking to a conservative who didn't deny the reality of climate change. Although we likely didn't agree perfectly on our political leanings, I think that if you put Benji and I in the same room and told us to come up with how to solve issues related to going carbon free we would easily be able to come up with a constructive plan. I was so happy to hear that Benji understood that there were a huge number of people who are in the middle of the political spectrum who aren't typically heard from. I think that he and I are probably closer politically than I originally thought. We may wear different political jerseys, but I think we tend to think a lot alike. Hopefully ACC can capture more of the rational folks in the middle to move forward progress in going carbon neutral, especially when it comes to nuclear power.
2: Absolutely, we think the work Benji and the American Conservation Coalition does is very important and extremely refreshing, especially as a conservative organization that does not downplay the threat of climate change. We wish them the best and really want to see them grow.
1: For sure, we want to thank Benji Backer for talking with us today. This has been Conservatism and Climate Action. Thanks for tuning in.
0: If you like what you heard and want more content, you can support Americans for Nuclear Energy's Climate Fix podcast on a per-episode basis with Patreon. Link in the description. To support Americans for Nuclear Energy and our general mission, visit our website at www.americansfornuclearenergy.org. All words, again, that's www.americansfornuclearenergy.org. We have a link to donate with PayPal under the Mobilize page. You can also purchase some Americans for Nuclear Energy swag under our store page. This will really help us pay for the little things, especially online service fees, to keep our organization running. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and YouTube. Lastly, we really want your feedback. Let us know your thoughts, questions, and concerns. We have a message form on our website under the About section, or you could email us directly at Maine at Americans for Nuclear dot org. All words. Again, that's Maine at Americans for Nuclear org. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Americans for Nuclear Energy's Climate Fix podcast. We'll see you next time.
2: Edited and produced by Jonna Adams.